I think in terms of how do I know if there's some things going on, I think anytime there's that dissonance happening that where you like, whether you see the behaviors that are self-sabotaging, whether that's everything from binge eating to, um, wanting to be perfect to wanting to make everybody happy. What are those behaviors that you see happening and beginning to see, especially if that behavior doesn't line up with the identity that God has for you, that's really where it is. Because when that's happening, then it's like, there's a story inside. There's a a soundtrack that's different than what I know that God has best for me. We talk about all the time. God has a plan for our lives. God wants us to be the light in the world, to change lives we can't be his light. If what I believe it deep inside is running the show and it's different from what he believes about me, I can't live to my fullest potential. That's why this stuff is so critical that we look at and we work through. So if you start to see that dissonance, that would be a good red flag. Or if you just flat out, know that's a lie that I struggle with. <laughs> that's a great opportunity to say, Hmm, yeah, maybe I need to get some more work around this area. When life as you know it is flipped upside down, we struggle to make sense of it all. Why would a good God allow this to happen? Hi, I'm Sherry Pilkington, your host of Finding God in Our Pain. In early 2018, the deepest questions of my life erupted when I unexpectedly lost my husband of 32 years. Since then, I've searched the heart of God for what He has to say about pain and suffering. In this podcast, we'll discover how God enters into our pain, shepherds us through our darkest valley, and out into the green pastures once again. I'll bring you firsthand stories from women who will allow us into their authentic struggle, along with professional advice from experts, counselors, and others who can speak to what it looks like to navigate pain. Join me as we discover God's answers to the deepest cries of our shattered heart. Thanks for stopping in. This is such an interesting conversation for me. I'm still learning stuff from uh, what my guest, Alicia Michelle, shared with us, with me, and now with you guys. Alicia is a Christian neuro coach. So our conversation was structured around brain science and the Holy Bible. But don't go anywhere if you're feeling like you don't want a science class, because it's not a deep dive for the science aspect of it. But it sure is a helpful conversation with regard to giving insight into why we may know the word, but we have trouble applying it to our lives. We know what God's word says about our identity, our worth, that we're loved and we're enough because he says so. But how come We can't really believe it, or there's some dissonance between believing it and applying it, seeing it alive and active in our life. By talking with Alicia, I learned that between the ages of nine and 13, we establish our understanding of our identity or our worth and how we define love. So based on what our environment is like, we create a belief system and an internal dialogue that will continue to run throughout our lives until we challenge it or until we're faced with a situation, a belief or an experience that causes us to say, whoa, hold on, that didn't work like I thought it would. would." And so we, we are forced to take a second look at how we act under certain, certain circumstances or what we believe. And so Alicia shares how she ended up in the hospital with a life-threatening medical condition. I believe she says that the doctor said, I don't even know how you're alive right now, but she finds herself in this condition because of her definitions of worthiness, being enough, and what made her feel loved. So as a neuro coach, Alicia helps her clients 
peel away the layers to get to the root of their belief system. And then she coaches and equips them by blending science and Bible truth. Very interesting as she explained how science is the vehicle, but God's word is the medicine. And I believe she gave another example of how neuroscience is the IV and God's promises are the medicine. We will always revert to our belief system. Where else are we going to go? That's what we've created. It's the lens that we have um, adjusted in our life because of what we have experienced, whether it's how people have created us. Um, so we'll always revert to that beliefs, belief system uh, that we've created through our experiences in our environment. But Alicia teaches us how to take those thoughts captive to Christ by doing what's called brain priming and literally creating new neuropathways in the brain that override the old ways of thinking. And something else that was super exciting to me but that could be just because I, I can nerd out on all the ways that our natural world proves God's word true. Alicia shared some science research that reveals how the brain once thought of being the same from birth to death, but research is revealing that the brain is constantly renewing itself. So to me, that's why God says, renew your mind. I think it's in Romans 12 or part of Romans 12, one or two. Um, also, I think it's like transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then there's Ephesians uh, 4.22, or at least part of 4.22, be renewed by the spirit of your minds. And there's several other scriptures that pertain to renewing your mind. And so God's already saying, renew your mind. It's possible. You can make these changes. You can think a different way. You can apply things in a different nature. And that's what Alicia shows us how to do. So if you've received mixed messages about your worth, or if you struggle with feeling like you're never enough or question if you're lovable, I hope you find this topic as interesting as I have, because you're able, you're about to discover that the negative internal dialogue that you have running in your mind, it's impacting your heart, the way you live your life, uh, the challenges that you come up against, the victories that you have, uh, that can be challenged and rewritten permanently so that you can live loved and thrive in every situation. Because, I mean, we know that with God, we're the head, we're never the tail. So pull up close to this conversation because I want you to hear all that Alicia has to share. It's going to blow your mind in a life-changing way. Thank you, Alicia, for bringing this relevant topic of brain science, the Bible, and how it gives us the power to rewrite, rewire negative thought patterns. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here today. And yes, this is an incredibly important topic. So thank you for the opportunity to talk about it. Most welcome, because I'm excited for my listeners to hear this. And the reason this conversation was interesting, actually exciting to me, is because there's no one I know that has been able to avoid trauma or pain or mm. suffering, and therefore anxiety. And I think you even stated on your website that anxiety is the number one most common mental health issue right now. Yes, so to live this life is to know heartache, and sometimes it's downright devastating. So I'm excited mm -hmm. to hear all that you have to share on this topic of suffering held up to brain science and biblical truth. So let's start here. You okay. share your personal story of being diagnosed with a serious medical condition that they were surprised that you were still alive and that you yes. ended up resting on your back for nine months as you recovered. Mm -hmm. You share that you ended up in that condition because you were looking for your worth and perfection and achievement. So bring the audience up to speed on what led you to your interest, why you became a neuro coach, what caused you to become engaged with the brain and science and the mm -hmm. Bible. Yeah. Well, just that whole aspect of being in that position where my whole life I had 
just been running and never stopping. And when God had allowed that medical crisis to happen five years ago, it was absolutely, I couldn't run anymore. He took everything away from me, everything. I still had my family, things like that. But I'm saying I literally had to lay in bed, couldn't move. And when you're a driven perfectionist performance kind of person to have the things that have kept you feeling valuable, stolen from you and taken from you in that moment, you're kind of left naked. You're like, wow, what, who am I? What am I? And you're alone with your thoughts with God. It was an eight month recovery process for me to go through all of that. And I was tempted at one point to say, you know, I can just sleep more, just like, you know, make a few little hacks here and there and I'm going to be good. Right. I'm going to be fine. But God was the one who said, listen, and he told me right after this happened, this is your second chance. You're not going to get a third. So you need to learn how to live differently. Mm -hmm. And part of that living differently meant that I had to figure out why I felt so compelled to only be sleeping for four hours a night. I mean, I did that for like 12 years. I mean, that was just my life, why I was never tired, why I felt like I was never good enough. I still never felt like, even though I was doing all the things, it was never enough. I was never enough ever. Why did I feel that? Why did I know all of these truths in my life about who God said I was, but I could not believe it. What was wrong with me? that I was like that. And he said, you need to get to the root of what's happening here. And so as I began looking at that and thinking, what is the root? It's really your thoughts. As I began learning more about our minds and our, our bodies, that our thoughts drive everything that we do. So that is where the interest for me began in learning about the brain and eventually becoming a neuro coach is understanding how the brain works, but specifically how those core subconscious patterns that we have around identity, how they shape what we do every day and how they are driving the show. And if we want to change behavior, if we want to change how we're reacting and responding in this world, we want to really understand those biblical truths. We got to get to the root of what those core thoughts are. And so that was that journey that began for me of figuring that out and really seeing wow, this is the missing piece that I have been working with coaching clients for a couple of years at this point, but there was always this point of like, how do I get them past that? Well, this was because of the, the, we needed to work on this, this mindset piece here. So yeah, that's kind of how it all started for me was my own personal experience with mindset and finding healing. And God always puts us on pause sometimes to get our attention mm -hmm. and to make us slow down. And I was just thinking about what you said that you you had it all going on. You didn't really see the problem, but there was a problem brewing underneath, if you will, because yes. uh, tell me what you think about this. If there's trauma or pain, suffering, grief, whatever emotional um, influence that's causing us to ha have anxiety, that if we don't do something about it, if we don't process it, if we don't address it, mm -hmm. the body is trying to figure out what to do with it and it won't release mm -hmm. it until we process it. Tell me a little bit about right. that. Yes. That is basically what had happened physically to my body. So physically in that moment, when I had this medical crisis, I'd had two vertebral artery dissections and the vertebral arteries are the arteries that run in the back of your neck and the injuries that I sustained literally, they were like, we don't, don't understand how you can have these kind of injuries. This is an injury that someone would have from a car accident, from doing bungee jumping, extreme sports, 
I happened to be on a missions trip and which had come back early as part of, because of the pain that I was in. And they were saying, I was in Mexico. They were like, what did you do in Mexico? What were you doing? And I said, nothing. But after learning more about it, like you said, the thoughts create changes in our body, chemistry changes. And for me, things like cortisol, high levels of cortisol have been proven to break down the tissues in our body. Now, I already struggle with some autoimmune diseases, so it doesn't surprise me that I had these high levels of cortisol and potentially they were attacking my arteries, literally causing them to collapse into each other and cause blood clots and mini strokes that eventually would happen that when I was at the hospital. So the fact is that there was a lot of stuff that I hadn't processed. There was a lot inside of me and a lot that I just kept pushing through, just kept driving through. And that was when the, the people had told me for years, like, you need to slow down. You're doing too much. And it was a badge of honor for me to be like, no, I don't need to sleep. I'm good. Maybe everybody else needs to sleep six or eight hours, but I don't, you know, that was my mindset. And really behind it was this huge cover-up story of what I was experiencing and feeling and what I really needed to work through to get forward movement. What do you think the disconnect is? Because I'd like to know myself, but what's the disconnect between knowing what the word says and actually living it out? Is it a level of intimacy with God? Is it that we don't meditate on the word? Where's the disconnect? Oh, I love this question. Okay. So I think of course there are spiritual aspects to it. Like when we spend time in God's word, we're going to have greater impact. His word is in our heart more. We're going to think about it more. I mean, there is that element. And so I, I definitely want to honor that and say that, but from a scientific brain science perspective, whatever was running in our subconscious mind that is running the show. So if we have patterns around identity, around love, worth being enough, if we have those patterns that have been developed based on our childhood experiences, based on our current life experiences, whatever has been reinforced in there, if that is what's in there, that is what's running the show. And it will block the logical information coming in. So we can logically hear God loves me. God says, I'm enough. I'm worthy. I'm forgiven. We can hear all of that. But if we have the programming inside of us that says you're only worthy when you achieve, you're only good enough when you reach some predetermined, unrealistic expectation in your head that you're never going to achieve, you are only good enough when, or whatever it is, then that's, what's going to be answering the question. That's, what's going to be running our life. So we can have both. We can have both running at the same time. And they're in this, it's like this wall that keeps coming up against it. So that's where, that's what I see happening. Women will come to me and say, well, like, I don't understand. I've been a Christian for my whole life. Why do I still not believe in my heart of hearts? I know all the verses and know the truth. Like, where is that? Where's that coming from? And usually there is that dissonance that's happening. And when we can get the thoughts in line by identifying what's really going on what's the deeper fear, what's the issue that's been triggered, what's the trauma behind it, all of the stuff, and then rewire it using a, a process I call, well, it's not, I didn't name it, but it's called brain priming. If we use that process to literally rewire it on a subconscious level, then we now, when we hear the truth, it comes in and agrees with a subconscious mind. So now it's able to be accepted. We're not fighting it anymore. And we can believe it for ourselves. We operate from a completely different perspective. So that's why it happens is because there's that dissonance happening between the two sides of our mind. Just another reason why God says, renew your mind daily. Yeah. And that kind of proves the point too, that I think, and I I know it's from my own personal experience and I do get it that that's limited, but what you're saying makes sense to me because I feel like 
the lens with which I look at through life has been written through experiences and Mm -hmm. um, people who you value parents speaking into your life. And so you buy into that value system, regardless of what God says. And then now you have to rewrite your first influence and now you have to rewrite it with God's truth. So that's, that's very interesting to me that that Mm -hmm. rewriting and that it can be done. So that's exciting. Oh, yes. And that's the greatest news of all is that just, just to give us a context, the brain science is, is, is still a relatively new science that is being explored even up to like 30 years ago, scientists believed that our brains were always the same, that they have, we were born a certain way. We thought a certain way we died a certain way, but science has been showing over and over that our brain is continually changing. It's called brain plasticity. It's continually being shaped by the thoughts that we have. So the good news in that is that how those thoughts were made is the same methods we can use to put different thoughts in. So the programming that that was used to put it in there, we can use the same sort of science to change it, to be in line with what God wants it to be. And I believe not only do we see in God's word that he has hope and and kindness and, and is always with us, but even in little things, I believe that God shows that he wants us to, or he believes that we can renew our minds because for example, science is saying that we have about 1500 new baby neurons that are born to us every day. We get new neurons. And to me, it just reminds me of, of verses like Lamentations 322. It says his mercies are new every morning. Every morning we have a chance to choose a new thought. We have, we are the only creatures in creation that have the ability to decide what we want to think about. Think about the power and the superpower of that, right? We have the ability to decide, yes, this is real. The difficulty that I went through, what I'm feeling right now. And I also get to decide where I'm going to dwell with that. I can recognize the, the difficulty as definitely real, but I don't have to let it dictate everything that I think. And I have the ability to control what I will focus on. That is incredible to me. And that's the gift. That's the blessing. That's the good news in all of this is even if we start in a certain place, there's hope, there's hope to get it to be somewhere else. So to rewrite what we've been fed Mm -hmm. most of our life, all of our life uh, to the point where we come to a conclusion that, wow, this is really not working for me. I got to think of a different way to do this. Is it a matter of just thinking different thoughts and just feeding yourself those thoughts? Or do you have to process the pain where, where it came from first? I guess you have to get down to it. What's the pro maybe we should start there. What's the process of finding where this is emanating from? That is the work that I do in coaching and also in the Christian mindset makeover, which is a course that leads you through this process, what I call the thought transformation method. So it is more than just telling ourselves happy thoughts, which is where things kind of fall short with things like affirmations, because affirmations are helpful, but it's kind of like, if you have a weed growing in your garden, and if you just clip off the leaves on the weed, the le- the, the weed's going to keep growing. It's not going to get rid of it. You have to go to the root of why the weed of, of the, re- the weeds food source, so to speak, right? You pull it out. Same thing. We have to go to the root of where these thoughts are. We have to see what's there and then we can find healing. So a lot of times we find we go through a whole process in in the mindset makeover of figuring out, first of all, what are the things that are in our thoughts? Noticing what's there is the first step because a lot of times we don't even recognize what we've been thinking on or dwelling on or what, how have I really been? Few of us do that. It's a skill that 
we aren't really taught. So learning how to recognize that and then beginning to see how some of our past experiences line up with why we have difficulty believing certain truths about God and owning that, like, that's not my fault that I learned not to trust people because of an abusive situation that happened in my past. And maybe now I don't trust God because he didn't rescue me from it or whatever it is. I'm totally making that up. But whatever the situation is, we begin to see these patterns between why we think certain things, especially around identity and why it's difficult to receive certain truths about God. So we, we, we go through several different exercises and ways to kind of dig that out and find that. And then once we see what that root thing is, we acknowledge it by saying, yeah, wow, it makes sense why I struggle with this. And we begin to see what is it that I really need to know and to hear in order to feel the safety, in order to believe what this truth is that God says. And then we begin that process of creating a specific thing called a brain priming to be able to rewire that truth back in. But it's based on what happened to us, what specific language, words, issues we need to have worked through and covered. And then it's, what do we need to hear? Like you might need to hear that it's okay to be, to cry or to to feel your emotions. And somebody else might need to hear it's okay to be able to control themselves and, and, and not every emotion has to control them. There's different things that we need to hear in order to have that process. So we work through that, create that priming, and then begin that process of allowing it to be heard twice a day and allowing that to change us. And it's very dramatic, the process that happens, because what we're really doing is changing things on the subconscious level. And we really do see very specific things at the certain points in the process that happen. And we begin to change without even realizing it because we're like, wow, like we'll be in a situation where we think that would have really triggered me before. And we, we see ourselves responding differently because what literally is happening in the brain is when a stimulus comes into the subconscious mind, it's saying, okay, this is the pattern I take, right? This is the thing I do. This is the way it's always responded. But when we're doing the brain priming, we're creating an entirely new highway, so to speak. So that when it comes to the cross in the road, it says, oh, I'm going to choose this highway instead. And it takes the science says between 63 to 67 days to create that new highway and to have the other highway dismantled completely. So we're literally building up the new highway and dismantling the old one. And it's dismantled because it's not being used. So if we're reinforcing the new one, the new one is being built and not using the other one, it goes away. So that's kind of the concept behind it. The patterning, the again of how our brain works is what is, what is remembered and reinforced is what's kept. So that's the process of getting to the root of it reinforcing it with different patterns and building it from the inside out. And again, I use that work through the identity piece, because that's the piece that women tend to come for me for with these big issues around perfectionism and stuff like that. When you were just talking about that process of digging it out, giving it a name, finding out what it is, and then it sounded like you hold up that belief and you take it captive to Christ. Like, where's the truth Mm -hmm. in this, Lord? What do you have to say? Yes. So I think that's a beautiful process of asking God Mm -hmm. to speak into that belief system that you have. That's been powerful for me in the past. That's the heart. I like to think of how brain science and the Bible work together in this and that biblical truth, God's wisdom, God's promises. It's the, it's the healing medicine. The brain science is the shot, so to speak. It's the vehicle that holds the medicine to put it inside. So the brain science isn't helping us per se by itself, it's the, it's the vehicle to house the healing power of God that's going in us. 
that's how I think they can work together so beautifully. And that's how the rest of our body works, right? We have God's, God's wisdom is supreme. And we use our understanding of our body to be able to allow that wisdom to be manifested. So yeah, that's how it works. And God's truth is what we're trying to line ourselves up with. And that's a reckoning that needs to happen. Sometimes again, it happens because we have chosen to believe certain things. That's our own fault. I had to come to terms that I chose to live in that lifestyle of believing I had to act a certain way, the pride behind that of working hard and thinking, you know, your worth is in these things. I had to admit to God that that was my fault for reinforcing that. But then I also had to recognize that there were certain things that happened to me in my childhood that strengthened the idea of needing to perform, of needing to be perfect. Things that were not given to me mentally in my own core family structure that caused me to respond in those ways. That's stuff I had to surrender. That's stuff I had to ask God to help me accept with radical acceptance. So it's it's a both. It's a reckoning of both and then seeing, okay, so what's the truth? What do I want to live my life on? What do I want my life to be based on? That's where I want to move going forward. Amen. Identity. It's huge. Satan wants to strip us of our identity. Mm-hmm. I guess being raised by broken people, normal people, whatever, mm-hmm. you know, it does strap us with a certain disability and we are susceptible to lies about who we are based on our parents or, or, or whatever. What do you think that Satan is after when it comes to our identity? Oh, he can't take our salvation. He can't take God's love from us. He can't take the gifts of God that God wants to give us. What he can take is he can block our ability to receive it. So if he can block our ability to believe God's truth, then that's how he wins. That's how he keeps a lot of us in prison. God's truth is true. Regardless. I think of it like a cell phone tower. God's truth rings out it's a clear broadcasting signal, but if we have a cell phone, that's not great coverage or whatever, it's one bar, so to speak, it's not going to be able to receive it as well. If we have baggage in the way, if we have thoughts in the way, the enemy loves that because it's keeping us from God. He knows that his power is limited. He cannot take away the promises of God, but he can keep the receiving beside our side, dulled, distracted, and living in patterns that are not in line with the identity that God has for us. So I think that's why he affects it. I'm in this new phase of life uh, where I'm like, Lord, show me who you created me to be. When you knit me together in my mother's wombs with your hands, your idea, your creation, what is it that you gave me that I have not seen? It's been a process of trying to, to, to shake off the world Mm -hmm. and really listen to who he's saying we are. Yeah. Like, um, another great metaphor is the idea of like scotch tape. If you've ever like wrapped Christmas presents, if you ever had that, that time, like two nights before Christmas, when you're wrapping like a thousand Christmas presents, and you have tape oh, yeah. everywhere and you had tape stuck to you. I think of those thoughts that are that interference, the negative side that's, that's there. It's part of us, but it's tape. It's stuck to us, but it's not us. It's not our identity. It's not who I am. So it's learning to sort out what has been stuck to me that's keeping me from receiving the truth as it is and not condemning ourselves for it. That is a critical part of this and something I think we're very quick to do. We're very quick to just say, well, I'm bad for doing that. And why can't I figure it out? And I should know better and all of those things. And that is what actually shuts our brain down more. We just go into this. Okay. Well, the brain's like, I'm going to protect myself. I'm not going to go any, you know, I'm not going to open up anymore. 
But if we can say and bring it to the foot of the cross and say, wow, this is, this is a lot. There's a lot of stuff in here that I've allowed myself to believe. And it makes sense why I feel like this. It makes sense why I'm struggling with this. That is where God can come in and say, okay, yeah. He's not condemning us to say you're bad. You're never going to change. You're wrong. He says, I get it. I see it. So I want to show you something different. That's in the past. Let's move forward. That's the beautiful part of, of changing and being able to get rid of what's on us. It doesn't matter what has been told us, what we've gone through. There is that power to be able to see what is my sure identity and what is just stuff that's stuck to me that I can just mm-hmm. get rid of and move that's forward beautiful. from. I love that God, like you're saying, doesn't shame us, reject us, belittle us. He just receives us like we are. And if we're willing to lay it at his feet, he's willing to say, I got a different way, babe. Come on. So a minute ago, you were talking about the superpower, brain priming, the power of your voice, whether it's internal or external, a past guest of mine, Amy Nordhues, she shared how unbeknownst to her, she was actually helping her abuser by silencing her own voice. When she was uncomfortable, she's getting these internal alarms, if you will. But she would tell herself, he doesn't mean anything by that. He's just being nice. Don't say anything. You're going to look dumb. And so she was silencing herself, which then gave him power over his actions, because that was the grooming process that he was able to finally overcome that with an actual physical gesture. So what is the value of listening to our voice? Mm, I think if we can reframe that idea inside us that says, almost like when we're upset, when we're, we have that little inkling, like if that's not okay for someone to speak to us like that, and we're just like, whatever, whatever, whatever. If we could reframe that as a, that warning light, like a check engine light, like, Hmm, that's interesting versus just trying to push it down and push it away. That is the first step to figuring it out. But that's, that's super important to learn how to listen to that voice inside of us. Yeah. I even have to ask my heart. I call it little heart, little heart. What are you so upset about? Like, why are you, why has that got you turned upside down? The stuff that that's in there that we don't, the the condemning stuff we say to ourselves, the judgment we offer ourselves, like the harshness that's there, that stuff that when we really start to recognize it, we think, wow, if I if somebody in real life spoke to me that way all the time, I would not put up with it, but why do I allow myself to let that happen? There's been some work that God is doing in me right now around issues of money, which is a whole nother topic that we're not going to be able to have time to talk about today, but just the idea of what does it mean to have money, to not have money, where is success, how that all interrelates. And just, I've been noticing in myself and in the responses of other people, a friend of mine shared, oh, I'm going to vacation to the Virgin Islands. And the instant response that she had was like, oh, but we've been saving up for a while. Oh, I know it's expensive. Like we backpedal, but why do we backpedal? It's because we've like have this own voice of I'm trying to protect myself. I don't want to appear too haughty. I don't want to appear this. And it's like, it's so interesting. These voices we have already kind of inside on our own selves that are really dictating how we act. And so it's been an interesting exercise for me in that specific area right now to see like, how do I respond and why do I respond like that? Do I protect myself or do I try to protect others or do I, you know? So um, yeah, it's always an ongoing process to figure out some of that, but it's fascinating when we can learn to listen to that. And then God is our partner to help us to say, what is that about? Where is that coming from God? And help me to love that because what it 
love it, not, not like, like it, love it, but like, love it to you because what's, what's behind all of it, of course, is always is fear. What is the root fear? How, what is the core need that's threatened here? What is that about? And when we can see that it's like, Oh, there it is again. You know, this is the issue that I need to work through. As I get older, you know, I'm willing to go back and look at things with the Lord faster and more often and abandonment kept coming up for so many years. And I was kind of surprised that it was the running thread through my life. I didn't make the connection with that a lot of times with what I was struggling with. So let me ask you this question then. Do you find that women don't even know that they've got patterns? Do they think it's normal or do they think there's no way out or is it just me? (laughs) Oh no, no. I think most of us have no idea. I think most of us have not learned how to listen. And if we do listen, we, again, we're ashamed by what we discover and we don't want to have to look at it anymore. So then we just keep distracting. But like we said before, the body has a way of getting our attention, whether that's physical ways, maybe we get stomach aches, we get headaches, or we have these emotions that are like, why am I always so tense around this person? Well, you've had all this stuff boiling up for us all this time. So it's there, but a lot of us have, we have no idea. And so part of the work that I get to do is to be able to help women connect the dots and to see without judgment. Wow that's why it's there. And yes, let's find you a different way. Let's find healing. Let's invite God into this process to do the healing work. So it's discovery and then inviting him in to do the work is, is very key to this. And the Lord is so gentle when we invite him into that process of trying to discover something that is lacking. I remember one time I was trying to get to the bottom of something, but he kept showing me other things. And finally I said, Lord, is there anything good left? Is there anything good left? You know, like, yeah. <laughs> but he was trying to yeah. get to the bottom of, I mean, I was asking that. I just felt like he was going off on rabbit trails, but he wasn't, he was peeling all of that mm-hmm. stuff away until yeah. I got to the bottom of that. And I was like, oh right. my gosh, I did not know that was it. That's what we, part of the process of getting to the root of, of the core thoughts is peeling it back. So if this is true and I think this, then, hmm, okay. So what does that mean? And if that's true, then what does that mean? And then what does that mean about this? And just peeling and peeling and peeling and peeling. Uh, a lot of the exercises we do in the makeover is about that peeling it back to those core questions that we're asking, am I worthy? Am I loved? Am I enough? And seeing how it relates and pinning us down sometimes can be kind of tricky because we're humans and we don't want, we don't want to talk about it. It's difficult. It's painful, but that's the, that's the gold when we can get to that. And so what a great way to have someone like yourself to lead you through that process of discovery. I think that's huge to have someone to navigate that for you. We're not really for you, but with you is probably a better yes. description and, and prompting you to think about certain things or redefine mm-hmm. what you thought you were thinking, or at least what you thought it was. And it's not. So what right. are some of the things, patterns that a woman can look for to say, Hey, wait a minute. Is I think that's more of a survival skill than a relationship skill, or this is really causing me problem. What are some things or something that a woman can look for to say, mm, I might need to talk to Alicia. (laughs) I completely agree with you that having, I am not the healer. God is the healer. I get to walk beside women and and walk in this process. So it's such a privilege to see it because the structure of being able to guide people through it, but then watching the Holy spirit do the work is amazing. I think in terms of how do I know if there's some things going on, I think anytime there's that dissonance happening that where you like Whether you see the behaviors that are self-sabotaging, whether that's everything from binge eating to um, 
wanting to be perfect to wanting to make everybody happy. What are those behaviors that you see happening and beginning to see, especially if that behavior doesn't line up with the identity that God has for you, that's really where it is. Because when that's happening, then it's like, there's a story inside there's a, a soundtrack that's different than what I know that God has best for me. We talk about all the time. God has a plan for our lives. God wants us to be the light in the world, to change lives, but we can't be his light. If what I believe deep inside is running the show and it's different from what he believes about me, I can't live to my fullest potential. That's why this stuff is so critical that we look at and we work through. So if you start to see that dissonance, that would be a good red flag. Or if you just flat out, know that's a lie that I struggle with. That's a great opportunity to say, hmm, yeah, maybe I need to get some more work around this area. How do you work with empaths? Because, and I've said this before on another show, I think empaths are taken advantage of so bad. It's almost as if predators find them, whatever type of predator, mm. whether it's a narcissist or or any type of predator, finds them and just works them over for Pete's sake. But I don't think it's a bad thing to be an empath because it's a characteristic sure. of God's heart that he reveals yeah. through people like an empath. But what can you do for an empath to help them gain some ground, get their feet on solid ground? Um, and by an empath, you mean, just to be clear, that somebody who's very driven by their emotions feels a lot of things deeply. That's what you're saying? That is correct. Yes. They take okay. on the emotions around them. They don't want to make anybody unhappy. Yeah. 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 I, again, within the context of working on these things in us, we have to we have to come to terms with the personality traits that are driving the show. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the Enneagram or your listeners are, that's the motivation behind why we do things is what the Enneagram numbers help explain the different ways. There are those feeling or those thinking kind of parts of the Enneagram for people that just how they're wired. And we're not saying that we want to turn down emotion or even turn up emotion. We're just saying we want to have the emotion be pure in line with what God says. So you can respond to truth, however way your personality is, if it's to be more emotional or not, but how is your response in line with what God says? That's the key that we're trying to get to. You can express that in any way that your personality is. So there are people that I've worked with who are, yeah, they need to be able to rein in their emotions. They've let emotions take over everything. And then, and so that's an interesting dynamic because you have to say, you're still in charge of your emotions, even though you feel it, it doesn't mean it's true. Just because it's there doesn't mean it's reality. What is the truth that you're going to cling to? You know, what is that? And that has to be your supreme thing. And some people push it all down and they don't want to talk about it. And so learning about what's in there. So it's, it's, it's driven by personality, but it's still the same thing. Is what I guess I would say. What are some body signals that we don't want to push aside? How does our body signal us? What do we need to give notice to give our attention to? I don't think there's one answer for that question. I think it's, we, we, I was going to say, we know our bodies and we know when it's not acting a certain way, but a lot of us don't know our bodies. A lot of us are just, again, existing, moving, busy, doing a thousand things. And we have to learn those signals. I certainly did have to learn those signals. I had to learn what it meant to have a headache or a stomach ache. I can tell you now what that means in my body, but for anxiety specifically, um, anxiety typically will have a physical manifestation of the emotional fear and response that we're feeling. And so that can be stomach aches. That can be headaches, but that could be any, you know, that, that, that anything can be causing those things. But I would just say any change from the norm 
of what's happening in you because our body is absorbing and listening and responding to even on a cellular DNA level to where our thoughts are. It's fascinating the work that's being done on that, like how our thoughts can turn on and off certain DNA in our cells, which is like, what? It's crazy. crazy. It's crazy yeah. how people talk about the, the the metaphysical and spiritual aspect of what you speak coming into reality. I'm not sure where I'm at with all of that. I, I know that what I say has an impact chemically in my body because I can see the science in that. And I also know the, the the Bible says that what we think on is what we become and to guard our heart. It's Proverbs 3.23, I believe, guard your heart above all else because it determines the wellspring of life. So whatever is in your heart, whatever you're thinking on and cultivating, that's going to determine your outcome. It's going to determine how your body's going to respond. It's going to determine what you do with it. Learning to see what's normal, I guess, would be the first step if we're not really in tune with what's happening in us. And then seeing and beginning to say, well, maybe it, the answer isn't to just take an aspirin or to take an ibuprofen to try to get over what I'm feeling. Maybe they, it's this again, check engine, like kind of signal, like, why do I had a headache for three, four five days, weeks, whatever. What is that about? Why do I feel a stomach ache every time I come in contact with this person? What does that mean? You know, kind of starting yeah. to tie things together. Yeah. Because I've been in situations where your throat just feels tight or your chest feels mm. a little tight. And I'm like, what in the world mm-hmm. was going on? I didn't like the situation. I wasn't comfortable in the situation, but I wouldn't necessarily have put it together as the body was responding to how I yeah. felt about the situation. Yeah. So that's, Chemicals that's are being released. It's amazing. It's amazing. A min- yeah. A minute ago, you talked about cortisone. What releases mm-hmm. cortisone? Anxiety? Cortisol. Um, Cortisol. Sorry. It's, it's okay. It's a chemical that's released in the brain as a result of stress. It's a stress hormone. Anytime we're in a heightened state of stress, it's one of those, those things that keeps us amped up. And so this explains why I always felt amped up. I just was, just had the steady drip of it. I'd conditioned my body to keep giving me this steady drip of cortisol and it's destructive to have in a high doses. But it sounds like also too, God puts a a stopping point to this Mm -hmm. consistent release of really probably any sort of hormone or chemical into the body at some point, but like there's enough, that's enough. It's not going to yeah. Keep going. Well, and like specifically with cortisol, it's a fight or flight stress release hormone. There's other hormones that are released. I don't want to just say that, but that is one. And it's meant to be a short action, just response, literally fight or flight. I'm in a survival kind of mode, go do respond and to come off it and go back to an homeostasis normal. So if we are not in that, where we're continually in that we're continually living in a survival mode. We're continually living in the the drip of the cortisol and other stress hormones. That is not how our body was designed to function. Things start to break down, you know, things start to happen. And so it's, it's, there's a balance that God wants us to have. Those kind of hormones are in us are good for those moments when we need to push through or survive, so to speak, but it's not meant for us to be all the time. On your website, across the top of your page there, one of the tabs is an anxiety toolkit. Tell me about the anxiety toolkit. The anxiety toolkit is kind of a a teaser to the, the deeper work we do in the Christian mindset makeover that's specifically targeted to those struggling with anxiety, because anxiety is one of those things that can be, and often is driven by these core subconscious fears, needs not being met, things that are misaligned with what God says about us, things like that. 
but it's one of those immediate things that if we can get some relief around, it really allows us to step deeper into the, to the work. What helps with anxiety is we have to first recognize we're not going to get rid of anxiety. Stress is going to happen in our life. Anxiety is a result of the stress that's happening to us. What we want to do is recognize that the stress is real and find a different way to respond. Anxiety is the way we've been trained. We've trained ourselves to respond. So if we can respond in a different way, we have that control. That's what we want. We want to say, well, what is the core what is the core issue happening underneath here that I'm feeling at this moment? Not that just that I'm stressed, what I'm feeling threatened. I'm feeling like I need comfort. There's different things that we need to do to respond in those moments. So the purpose of the anxiety toolkit is to help you to create a customized plan of what you need to do to respond. It includes mindset tools, like how to understand how to move your mind through those things when you're feeling an anxiety attack. It includes coping strategies for in the moment, things you can do long-term for coping strategies. It has a Bible study in there because as always, God's word is the medicine brain science is the tool to get the medicine in there. So we need to have the, we need to have the medicine. I mean, we just do the weeks in the Bible study are broken up by different kinds of anxiety. Like when we're anxious about a certain event, when we're not confident about the future, like different aspects of anxious, anxious thinking, but the purpose of it is to guide you through a very custom tool so that you know what to do and how to experiment with different things to help you respond differently in a healthy way by working on what's really happening inside. So, yeah. That's the anxiety toolkit. Great toolkit. Great tool set. I think that's really what, how we equip ourselves for life is to have a tool set that is Mm -hmm. actually effective in in our life and to dissect and get to these areas that we don't normally take the time to look at that to me, because a level of freedom, once you break through things like that. A few moments ago, you talked about brain priming. Tell me a little bit more about that. What's the benefit of brain priming? The benefit is that we're getting to the root of the of the issue and we're rewiring it on a subconscious level. We're removing the soundtrack that is toxic or not in line with God's word and we're replacing it with the truth. So it's a neurological specific process where there is the pruning away of the old thought and the adding in of the new thought. And that when we have that, as again, as we said, we come to that crossroads, the brain sees that stimulus of that situation, that person, whatever, we go down a different path versus the old pattern of the thoughts that are there that I'm not good enough. And I, I'm always a loser. Why do I do this? I never, am going to be good. And I never going to get past this, all the things we think, because that's that core identity that's going to affect us and help us. So yeah, that's what brain priming is. It is changing it on a neurological level. It has been something that's been used for dozens of years with high-performance athletes, musicians to help them prime their mind, to be able to learn information faster, to be able to prime forward or prime backward, priming themselves to be in a situation where they're ready to They've seen the outcome. Their brain is ready to receive what's there. That's priming forward. But that's that concept has been around for a long time. And so now having this skill and using it in these other ways, I love it. I love that we can use literally practical science and what God wants to do in healing our mind, because that's really been, I think, a big, a big hole in the church. I never want to discount the power of scripture, but it's kind of like, if we just take a certain medicine that needs to be intravenously injected and we try to rub it onto our skin, it's not going to have the same effect. If we can use that same tools that we know about how our brain works and we can use that and put the word of God in there. Whoa, what a difference. So it's a marriage of both of those things. And brain priming is that way to do that. Just for distinction and clarity, 
How does brain priming compare to hypnosis or meditation? Does it have anything to do with those? No, it doesn't. Hypnosis would be putting yourself in an altered state where somebody is controlling your mind. That's not at all what brain priming is. Meditation would just be meditating on something specific. Christian meditation is meditating on truths of God, but it's not it's not doing that work in our head. It's not doing the subconscious rewiring. This is a very specific tool with very specific results. So it's not like just focusing on something. And there's certain ways we want to structure it, which is why I have training in it. Certain ways you want to structure it so that it's not causing more harm than good. And it's actually confronting and dealing with the real root issue that's there. So that's the most effective as it can be. And I think if you have the courage to look in these darker places or darker corners of, of our lives, things we, we might not want to revisit. Sometimes you feel like you're going to cry to the point where you'll never stop crying. So to have the courage to go back and look in those places, gosh, God has got so much freedom for us Mm -hmm. there. And so this process that you have for Christians to find freedom in Christ, to rewrite those lies with his truth and let him speak into these places. It's a beautiful thing. I was actually talking to somebody about this very topic earlier today, and we were saying, is it okay to go back and revisit the past? Um, I am not a trauma counselor. I'm not trained to deal with trauma. And in fact, I refer people out if they've had extreme trauma that they haven't processed. I refer to them to a counselor so that they can get that healing. The work that I do, we see what's there just enough to see what's there. And we move forward from it. We don't stay stuck there. Almost like if you were to clean out your bedroom, you pull all the stuff out of the closet and you throw all your clothes all over the place. And it's like a massive mess to get it all out. And it's not pleasant. It's not fun. But when you put everything back and you give stuff to Goodwill and you you end up with this organized, clean space, you're not living with the chaos of the clothes everywhere. You're going to live in the future of healing and an organized area, that's what you're living in. And so we have to kind of get to some of what's there and see it, ask God to help us with it. And then again, with that love and and kindness that God has to move forward from it and say, we're not stuck here. We're not staying here. We got to see it a little bit, but we're not staying here. We're moving forward. I like that. You don't have to stay there. There's options. We love options. Absolutely. No, (laughs) he doesn't want us to stay there. Again, what if these pains that we're feeling, what if they're red flags? What if it's just God gently saying, I want to take you to the next level. I want to welcome you to something more. There's two really amazing words, Hebrew words that are used in the Bible. There's about five, but these two specifically relate to what this is, what we're going to say here. One of them is Pakad and the other one is Yara. Okay. So Pakad is a fear that relates to danger, something that we need to listen to. Like it's probably not good to drive 120 miles an hour on the freeway. It's probably not good to touch a hot stove, things like that, that when we see that danger and and we feel that fear, we should listen to it. Your raw is the kind of fear of stepping into something bigger than beyond ourselves, stepping into a new season, things that are uncomfortable, things that we're not, I don't really know about that, that kind of a feeling that there's not a danger. You're not going to die, but it is scary to walk through that. That's the kind of fear that we lean into. That's the pain that we say, I'm leaning into you, God, through this, like in childbirth, the, the sharp pain of, wow, something's not right. There's a difference between that and the labor pains that welcome the baby that we want to lean into. Mm-hmm. I had natural childbirth. So that's what I'm thinking of that, but just like that idea of when 
it's okay to see the fear as like, ah, but when can we lean into it? If we can lean into certain aspects and so many fears, I think that we just cut ourselves off. I don't want to deal with that, you know, is really God's invitation to lean into it and say, I'm taking you to a new place. You don't have to have control. You don't know exactly where it's going to be, but I'm here with you and I'm going to take you there and it's going to be awesome. So learning to lean into God's when we feel that fear too, can be helpful. I have come to understand that whenever I feel anxiety start to rise up or I'm triggered by something, I do look at that as an opportunity that God is saying, Hey, that thing right there. Do you want to give that to me? I can help you Mm. through that. I've got the solution. I know the pathway through and I can help you with that. If you want to give it to me, you know, I'll help you with that. So I do use that as an opportunity to find time to talk with the Lord about, okay, what was that about Lord? Yeah. And to not be afraid of that. I think the more we do that and more we trust God in those areas and we see him lead us through that kind of unfamiliar wilderness, it's like you, you begin to trust him again. You take his hand again and you're like, okay, this is the next step in the onion. It's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. I trust you. I see it. Yeah. So actually some of the first work we do in the mindset makeover is getting to the root of those trust issues with God, because we can't ask God to heal us. If we've had that blockage of, well, I'm mad at God because this happened, or I don't trust him because of this, or, you know, whatever, whatever baggage we may have that has a good reason for being there. Well, we got to work through that before we can just say, well, just trust God with it and just move forward. Like we got to work through that as part of it. I like that you take that approach, practical reality mm-hmm. approach instead mm-hmm. of plastering some scripture on yeah. it and saying, you know, you'll be fine, sister just God, I'm going to give you more than you can handle. <laughs> exactly. Right. Like, no, that's reality. That. And a lot of times women will tell me like, I didn't even realize that I was mad at God about that. Or I didn't even realize that I was blocking him in this way. And it's so interesting when he reveals that and you're like, Ooh, wow. Well, that makes sense. Why I don't want to step into this or can't trust him in these areas because I've been holding on to a lot in that area. I don't know what it is when you finally either recognize it or, or say what it is. There's mm-hmm. a breakthrough in that alone. Once you're like, yes. Oh my gosh, it's that I'm like for me, abandonment, it's abandonment again. Yeah. And so yes. you're like, okay, what do we do about it now? Let's step into the next place of healing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not an easy process, Definitely. but it's a beautiful process. I've had to look at it as I think of them as like Achilles heels. We all have those things that are like little scars that we can make massive progress around things that don't hold us down anymore. Things like perfectionism and performance, they don't hold me down anymore. They don't affect me, but there are times where little things will come up and I'll see it trigger. And I'm like, Oh, that's what that is. And, and before I would have been like, again, like, are you serious? I'm going past this. Like what's wrong with me? You know, but it's like, interesting. This is another iteration that God wants me to go through. And now the good news is I have the tools. I know I've got God on my side. I know how to handle this. I know how to approach it. I don't have to be afraid of it. It's just one more step in the healing. And so it's a different perspective to approach it when you can look at it like that and not just be mad at ourselves again, that here we are, blah, I can't fail, you know, I'm never get better, that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. So yeah, I love that you shared that. The little power position as far as being able to yeah. choose a different way. You know, we yes, like to be definitely. in control and I'll say control is an illusion. God's the only one who's in control. Sure. But as far as having that control, that option to choose one path or the other, or to stand in a position where you're like, Oh, I see you. I know what you are not going to bite this time. I've got a different path that I take now because I've been equipped in a different way. Talk about superhero. I feel like a superhero here. When you keep talking about all these little things that can equip us in such an amazing way and a a way that really helps, in my opinion, helps us walk into our calling and fullness. 
and right. not showing up scared. Because you mentioned a few mm-hmm. minutes ago that when you start peeling away these layers, you find a fear, a core fear. Mm-hmm. Tell me what you think about this particular fear. Because I feel like when you peel all the the exterior stuff and the way we promote ourselves and, you know, our brand as we brand ourselves, the core fear would be that we don't want to be alone. Yeah. Yeah. If you think about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, we have certain needs that need to be met that it's a pyramid. So like the lowest levels are shelter, clothing, food. Once we have those needs met, then we can move on to the next level, which are basic safety things like feeling comforted, feeling loved. It progresses up higher up the level as you go, but those core needs are core needs in us. And if we believe that God designed all of us to be in relationship with him, really believe that all of those core needs, when they're not met or when they're met in a weird way or something, there are opportunities for us to lean into him because we're pretty good at being self-sufficient as humans. And yet we, we are so fragile and we all still have those needs. It keeps us, it keeps us human versus thinking that we got it all figured out. And that's what makes us turn to God. He's got the answer. He's, he's the one who provides those needs for us through other people, through himself, whatever. I think it's more examples of just invitations of him inviting us into draw closer to him when the needs aren't being met. Constantly drawing us into him in different and various yeah. ways. I wonder if that's really the yeah. struggle that we want to be our own God, just like Eve. Mm-hmm. Because Satan came in and undermined what God had really said. And yes. she bought it because she had a, a need of wanting to be her own God. And I wonder if that's really still our struggle. It's why we put it off. It's I why agree. we fight it ourselves. Yeah. Control is huge. Control is probably the number one thing under enough. I'm not enough, but it comes back to wanting to control. How many things have would change if we recognize what we can control and what we can't control. And we stopped trying to fix and control and get the answers. I mean, that's why we get stressed. That's what anxiety is a lot of about control, about wanting to control everything and wanting to have the answer. That's what I lived in for most of my life is I want to know what's going to happen. I want to know why this person isn't changing. I want to fix this. I want you to do that. Like if we can let go of that, it, it, man, it allows God to be God, you know, mm-hmm. it allows us to be in our right place and to stop trying to take over. And we may not know the answer. We're never going to know what happens in the next five seconds. We're not going to know yeah. only God knows. So Coming to terms with that in the everyday real life is something I have to do all the time for sure. Personal intimate relationship with God makes it okay to be human. Definitely. Okay. Is there something that the woman must know today, whether it's about her identity, whether it's about negative internal dialogue, what is it that someone needs to know today? First thought that came to my head was stop running, stop running from it. I think we're really good at just distracting and running and ignoring. So to stop running and to look at whatever is happening inside of us with love, that's how God looks at us. God sees us not as, let me measure you up. Like, that's not really what I said you should do here. You know, but he's not looking at us like that. Everything is an invitation to come closer to him. So if we can stop running, make some space to just begin to notice what's happening inside, begin to carry that lens that he has for ourselves 
and begin to see like, wow, maybe there's some, there's some healing that God's inviting me to by stopping from running and covering it up and doing all of the things that we're really good at doing to cover it up. Thank you so much, Alicia, for coming on here today and sharing your insight on what science and the Bible and our own brains need to come together and find this beauty, this freedom in who God says we are. So may our listeners today stop running and let God love on them. (laughs) Amen. Yeah, that's well said. Stop running and let God love and that love is for our inner thoughts. It doesn't have to just be for others. He wants to love us and call us to him through those things too. So yeah, thank you for the opportunity. You're welcome. Take care. Thank you for your time and for sharing this experience with my guest. I hope you have found encouragement for today and a deeper revelation of God's heart in the midst of pain and suffering. We'd love to have you as a subscriber to Finding God in Our Pain so that you can be connected with all my guests as they share their personal experiences and professional knowledge about pain and suffering. And because this podcast is a division of the website, A Life of Thrive, for more information and the various ways you can connect with us, please visit the website, alifeofthrive.com. I look forward to sharing more transparent stories from the hearts of women who intimately know what it means to have their world flipped upside down, their authentic struggle to make sense of it, and what recovery and healing looks like. Till then, sweet woman, remember you are not alone and that God speaks the most beautiful things in the dark. 